Welcome listeners to another inspiring season of the JMT Media Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Tacarante, and I'm thrilled to have you join us on this journey of exploration, growth, and transformation. In this season, season four, we're diving deep into a theme that resonates not only with the realm of businesses, but also within the very hearts of our communities, peace within your business and within your community. It's a season dedicated to unraveling the threads that connect inner harmony, successful enterprises, and the well-being of the societies we live in. Howdy, y'all! Happy season four! I am Jacqueline Tacarante, your host from the award-winning JMT Media Podcast. And look, y'all, if you haven't realized this, season four is all about peace and abundance and getting your business right back on track. And when I talk about getting things right back on track, we have had some amazing guests, not just from New York, not just from the United States, but from all over the world. And so for that, we are eternally grateful for all of our listeners and our viewers. And now when you watch this, you're going to actually see this on television. So it's not just on online, uh, in your ear, you're going to see this on the television. So I had the pleasure several months back to sit on a panel with some amazing women. Um, The event was called Women in Tech, and it was hosted by the New York Women in Business Collaborative and Women.NYC, which is part of the mayor's initiatives to help support women entrepreneurs all across New York City. And there was this one woman that was sitting next to me. And she was just fabulous. Her vibration, her spirit was just out of this world. And she had a lot to say. And I had to bring her on our podcast to share with y'all really some insights about who she is, where she came from, um, and why what she is doing is so important to help women entrepreneurs. So Alexandra, are you there? Hi, Jacqueline. How are you? Hi, beautiful lady. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Now, first off, do you have your coffee with you in hand, Intel? I love, oh, wait, yours says auntie. So mine says uh, Commons Cafe. It's a nonprofit that's ran by the Nicotra Foundation. They do 100% of the profits go back to charity. And they're just a really cool organization that gives back um, behind the scenes all the time. So shout out to them as we're drinking our coffee. So I am so excited that you are here on this podcast. Um, For our listeners, viewers, watchers, everything in between, can you talk a little bit about, you know, where are you from, Alexandra? First off, let's start there. Yeah, so I am, uh, I'm in Queens. I've been in Queens all my life, but I did immigrate from the Dominican Republic when I was seven years old. Um, And so immigrating at seven years old, my parents and I were undocumented in the U.S. for about 10 years. And I think uh, a lot of what I've done in my career is definitely rooted in understanding deeply the experiences of immigrants, but especially undocumented people and trying to create initiatives, resources that support the community, the American community. You know, some of the things that I found fascinating about the Women in Tech Conference is you talk about initiatives, but then you also talk about financing because I don't think that people have an understanding. And the easiest way that I simplify it to folks um, when I talk about women and entrepreneurship is 
there are, to me, there's two types of entrepreneurs. There's the entrepreneur where there's that generational wealth, right? Uncle, auntie had a business. They're getting older, retiring. You get handed the keys. You get handed the bank account. You're essentially set. And that doesn't mean that you don't have a grind to keep the business going, but you already had that leg up. And then there's the other set of entrepreneurship, um, which I fall into that category clearly. It is the, sure, that's wonderful. You want to start a business, figure it out. And so it's everything from understanding the legalities to accounting to finance. Um, and so as I've been in business, we're about to celebrate nine years this fall, which I'm really, I can't even believe it. Um, I didn't honestly celebrate the last three years because we were still kind of in the middle of COVID and yeah. there were so many businesses that were closing. I didn't want to be boastful about it. Uh, but this year I'll be boastful. The world is opened up. So I'll let everybody know nine right. years. Um, but the, that other side of entrepreneurship is truly bootstrapping, like figuring it out on your own, failing every step as you go. And then you get to a point where you're like, oh, I know how to play chess now because you understand all the pieces on the chessboard. And so for you, one of the things that I love is you are the founder of Poder Capital. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about your business or talk a lot about your business? Yeah. I mean, first of all, you touched on so many different things and just your description of what it is to be an entrepreneur. So I do not come from a line of entrepreneurs. So I've had to navigate uh, what it means to be an entrepreneur completely by myself. So I don't know if people call themselves first generation entrepreneurs, right? Um, so for me, in line with what I shared is my mission to really make resources more accessible, um, I participated in a venture studio that gave me resources to explore an idea. And the reason why this is important is because I think as women of color, we don't realize that people will actually pay us to bring our experience to birth things into the world. So there are many opportunities like this, okay? So as part of that process, I leverage that resource to explore how can I support particularly the Latinx community mm -hmm. and BIPOC entrepreneurs. In speaking to many, 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 many entrepreneurs, we know that one of the biggest challenges is accessing capital. I think there are some business owners who know that they need capital to grow and others who don't realize that they're missing the opportunity to compete by not leveraging capital to grow yeah. their business. And so in that research, we realized there's a huge gap, particularly in loans that are above $50,000. So we live in a country and in a city that has amazing resources. So we have micro lenders, we have community development, financial institutions, but unfortunately they're really limited in what, how much they can lend. And banks do not wanna make smaller loans. So we're working on bringing into the market a lending product that is between 50,000 to 500,000, specifically using a new way of underwriting. And you know, for people who don't know what that is, um, it just means that we're introducing a new methodology to determine credit worthiness. And the reason why this is important is because there's a lot of BIPOC entrepreneurs and business owners who are getting denied for capital. And from our perspective, the reason why they're getting denied has less to do with the business and more to do with systemic challenges that they cannot control. So we know the history of people of color in this country. 
right? And so when a bank looks at a business owner, they're looking at this question of what if they default? Well, if they default, they expect collateral. Well, if you're someone who grew up um, like me <laughs> um, and maybe does not have generational wealth, like many of us in this country, then you're already at a disadvantage. So we're yeah. trying to reimagine the way that we make decisions about who is credit worthy. I love that. Particularly looking at the business, because we spoke to many businesses who literally had a million dollar business and couldn't get more than $20,000. Oh, I believe you. My, my first two years in business, we hit the $500,000 mark. And I was always raised that if you do not have the credit, that's how my, and I love my mother. She's Latina and she's Native American. I love her dearly. But we were raised that if you do not have the money in the bank, you, you don't spend it. You don't overspend. You want to buy that $300 dress? If you don't have that money in the bank, don't even get a credit card. And so I was in my late 20s before I had my first credit card because I was so scared. I was so scared that like the boogeyman was going to come. And Aww. now I'm like, okay, that's, that's what the name of the game is. You got to build credit. You got to work with financial institutions and not to add to your point, not every financial institution, not to say that they don't have your best interest at heart, but they don't understand the story and depth of your business, um, the longevity, et cetera. Cause not every small business bank is going to fund a small business. Yeah. And I think you said something that we saw in the research in the research and that really resonated with me. I think I don't want to generalize, but the people that we spoke to, and I can speak for myself as well, we have a complicated relationship with money. Oh, we yeah. have a complicated relationship with debt. Uh, one of the things that I experienced and that I know a lot of people who I spoke to experience is scarcity, right? When you grow up in scarcity, mm -hmm. you become afraid of oh, yeah. debt because you're using debt mostly to literally get your basic needs met. Whereas people who do not experience scarcity use debt to build wealth. And so we spoke to a lot of people that uh, were describing that experience, you know, like, I don't want debt. I don't want debt. Um, I just finished getting my MBA. <laughs> Yay, congratulations. And I say that to say that it was one of the most formative financial uh, learning experiences that I had. And I think one of the things that a lot of people need to hear is that billion dollar companies hold millions and millions of dollars of debt. So there is a game to be played with the cost of capital and how much you can do with your cash versus affordable debt on your, uh, on your panel. Oh yeah. You know, it's um, we saw this, truly in living color during COVID and the pandemic, right? With the PPP loans, immediately you would see, because on a state level, uh, small businesses are defined as one to 500 employees. So if you are a franchise, for instance, if you have 300 employees, you clearly have the capital funding already to have legal counsel in-house, accounting in-house, et cetera. So when we saw that the PPP loans, the intention was to help kind of bridge that gap, but the execution, you know, it's already been proven everywhere. It, it wasn't there. And so one of the things that I think is important that has been brought up to the attention on a federal level is micro small business, MSBs. 
And micro small businesses, for those that are listening and tuning in, that is something, a piece of legislation that is being proposed for small businesses that are truly 10 employees or, or less, which is predominantly most BIPOC, Native American um, small businesses. And so that way, if there is ever a situation, because you always want to be proactive, right? If there is ever a situation like that, um, micro small businesses have an opportunity to be able to respond to those kinds of resources and something is allocated to them. So they're not fighting against, uh, you know, PPP loans for a big franchise with 350 employees. Yeah. Um, and so it was a shame, but it was also a lesson, I think, for a lot of small businesses to get their books together, to understand what financing capital funding is about, to also understand what types of loans that are out there. Um, now, speaking of loans, talk to me about Bodavea Capital, your business. Like, I'm excited to hear all about it. Like, it's a, anybody can come through. Like, what's the process? So I, so I think, again, we're in the process of building the product. So we have a waiting list. Um, and Ooh. so right now, I definitely encourage people to go to poder-capital.com to join our waiting list. Um, it is uh, open to all but we're specifically looking to ensure that we support Latinx and BIPOC small business owners who are currently struggling to get capital in the market. Um, and so the way that it works, and this is coming from the research that we did as well, um, our people are really resourceful, right? Mm -hmm. So even though we're out there and for those that are looking for capital, we're having issues looking for capital, we are leaning on our community to yeah. get that money that we need. And so what we're trying to do is take behavior that's already happening in the community and bring it into our underwriting model. So you raise five to 10% of what you're looking to get. Um, and that for us allows us to not look at your credit score uh, and not expect that you have collateral. And the reason for that is because we believe that the community is best positioned to determine your credit worthiness. And it's, if you think about it, when you think about the history of banks and debt, that's the way that it started, right? It's people vouching for you. So yeah. that raise from your community, which is not a donation, it's an investment of the community in you, for us, allows us to bypass these indicators that, again, we don't believe capture the breadth or the circumstance of the people we're looking to serve. If you're an immigrant and you came here two, three years ago, you're likely not to have the credit history that allows you to get a loan. So we're really looking at overcoming those kinds of barriers. That is so interesting. I just read that um, online. It's like three steps, like small businesses, the owners apply for a loan. Yeah. Um, the interest rate depends on your loan terms. Then a I, first off, I love that there has to be some sort of community investment or wind beneath you um, to help you fundraise for that five to 10%. Because as we know, every dollar that goes back into a community, that's from staffing to rent to paying light, like that money's going back. So for every $1, statistically, 80 cents to that $1 stays within the community. So I love that business model. Um, you know, JMT Media, when we first created the business, when I first created the business, the agency, my first thought was I had 20 years experience working with big agencies, big clients, Puma, Canon. And I'm like, there has to be a way to marry the for-profit sector to support the nonprofit sector 
in this beautiful interwoven thread. And so we've been able to position ourselves to really clearly connect for-profit entities with nonprofit entities. But I love that you've taken it to the next level in terms of capital funding um, and support for these small businesses. So that way they can, you know, apply for a small business loan. So yeah. kudos to you. I think that's phenomenal. The, the inspiration is, I think there's already a lot of power in our community. I think sometimes yeah. when you seek to create a solution for, you know, BIPOC communities, I think a lot of people tackle it as if we're lacking something. Yeah. And I think we're saying there's so much wealth in our community, but how do we create a process that allows us to exponentially increase that, right? It is hard to raise $100,000 from the community, right? But if you raise... 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, and then you have that count towards a bigger loan. I think we think that it's a way of, of sort of leveraging the community to unlock additional yeah. sources of capital. Um, yeah. And it's happened, you know, for ages. So, you know, I don't know what this looks like in your community, Jacqueline, but for me, when I was undocumented, um, my family would participate in tandas, right? Um, and I don't know, you know, tandas. Yeah, explain that to our viewers. <laughs> So tandas, sans, there's so many names for this, but they're pretty much uh, what we call in English giving circles, right? Where people will take turns, people will all pool their money together, right? And they will take turns receiving that money. So it's a way of getting a loan at a particular amount of time, right? So we relied so much on that to be able to pay for, you know, school, yeah. pay for and, and that's the way our community has leveraged their own power, right? To yeah. support each other when the banking system hasn't supported them. And so this is really the inspiration behind this. It's like, there's so much power. There's so much capital in our communities, right? How do we use that and maximize that? So that's really that. the vision behind it. Um, acknowledging again that, you know, we're already so rich and we've already come up with ways to address the issues that are impacting us. When you think about, you know, banks, not lending, banks, not banking. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. so, so, wait, so it's called a tonda? Tandas is, tanda. is one iteration, but a lot of communities have. I was just about to say, I feel it. like the <laughs> Chinese and the Korean communities also oh, do the exact same thing yes. to help support, um, you know, their communities as they're growing and small businesses are thriving, et cetera. That is so, so fascinating. I Every love that. community has a version of this, I'm sure. Like I've heard so many different iterations. Um, so it's, it's beautiful. You know, the fact that, that we as people are already supporting each other in order to address like the systemic issues that we're facing. Yeah. And, you know, the hard part is I think a lot of times people don't want to acknowledge or talk about the systemic issues because just even saying that word and I know our viewers probably some are going to agree some are not but that's okay it's yeah. my show um but the term like systemic issues and disparities it has a negative connotation because that's that's what it is right but that doesn't mean you have to live in that negative space that means like hey we need to find a solution because we're all here we got to figure it out um, I was just with um, Senator Jessica Spanton yesterday with my son and she was with her daughter and, and I was like, look, my son hasn't started school yet and I don't want to leave him at home with a babysitter. I want him to come and see what entrepreneurship is like with mommy. So he came and one of the things that I explained to her, I said, you know, the, 
the struggles and strife that a lot of business owners, minority business owners go through, that is the fuel that helps our economic and our emotional engine. You know, part of what you and I talked about before we started in our digital green room was, you know, as women entrepreneurs, like if your peace and if your chakras are not aligned, then your household is chaotic, your business is chaotic. So there has to be a place of peace. And that's why season four was really, really important for me because now that we've celebrated or about to celebrate nine years being in business, you know, you go through those, it's just like infancy, adolescence. And now you're at this place where you're like, okay, I'm at a good spot, but something's not feeling right. Like what's going on? And so the fact that we can talk about it and address it, I think is important. And it doesn't happen overnight. You know, one of the things I talk about a lot on panels is change does not happen overnight. And change sometimes doesn't even happen on a national level or on even on a citywide level. The change can actually happen right here right where you're at, in your space, in your home, in your small office, et cetera. So I think that um, everything that you're saying is like hitting the nail on the head in terms of access, because uh, I don't know if you've seen that like meme that goes around that when you support a small business that's supporting a child going to dance class or a mother being able to put food on the table. It's so true. You know, I didn't even realize that my mother was, was an entrepreneur herself, but she just didn't have a title. Um, she was a single mother with three kids and my sister is handicapped and we truly could, she couldn't work. You know, she had to rely on the city to provide services and benefits to her and for us to eat and have lights on. And so she would do everything from making salsas to hemming people's clothes, but that was her way of being an entrepreneur. And so I got to see that firsthand and I'm very blessed um, because not everybody has that opportunity to understand what true grit is because oh. it's something that can't be bought. It's something that can't be replicated. You observe it, you uh, observe it and you absorb it and then you grow with it, you know? And again, you said so many things there, right? You talked about peace. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure, I'm sure you're audience is at a different journey, but I absolutely agree. A lot of people say entrepreneurship is a spiritual journey. And for me, absolutely. I think this element of self-care, finding peace in order to be resilient during really tough times as an entrepreneur is really important. I think I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs and we don't, we don't give ourselves the support that we need often. And I think for me coming into this new company. So I, this is my second company. The first company was a nonprofit that I ran for nine years. Right? Nice. This company to me is different because I realize I need support in order to be in alignment. I can't mm -hmm. do it by myself. Um, so I have invested in education. I've invested in coaching. Uh, I've invested time in my own spirituality to ensure yeah. as I'm making decisions and as I'm moving in the world, that I am aligned, you know, in, in this case, I'm a Christian. So obviously, you know, that looks different for different people, but it's so important for anybody, whether you're an entrepreneur or not yeah. to seek that um, because so the greatest value you could add to society comes from that place. It does so not come from a place of, you know, uh, struggle. I mean, sometimes it does, but, but it doesn't have to come from a place of struggle. And struggle. I think, I think, uh, you are so correct in like the entrepreneurship spirit. It's like this, 
It's like a highway up and down. It is a hey. highway up and down. I don't think people have an understanding. And it's not like you have this up and down at your office and then you go home and you're like, everything's fine. Everything's wonderful. Because not, you know, I'm I'm blessed that my husband, Joe, we call him Joe Bear because he's hairy like a bear. <laughs> so I'm blessed that my husband, Joe Bear, is he sees me working till one o'clock in the mornings. And it's very rare now. But when he sees it, he's like, you're working towards something big, aren't you? And I'm like, yes. Like he knows that where the ramp up is and what's happening. And um, you have to be spiritually aligned because it can be a distraction for especially a lot of young entrepreneurs. If things don't go the right way, they're like, forget it. I'm just going to close my business. I'm just going to do this. And I mean, sure, that's one way, but then you can also figure out a solution, right? Okay, well, this isn't working. Let me figure out my finances or let me figure out this strategy um, because there's no right way of owning a business, right? Because um, then it comes back down to what do you define as success? You know, for the longest time, I used to define success as going into a grocery store and being able to buy $500 worth of groceries and not worried about is my light going to be shut off? Is my water going to be shut off as a kid? None of that. Now my definition of success is when I leave my office on a Thursday, because we're closed every Friday, like, am I at peace? Cool. Okay. Things are good. I'll see y'all Monday. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just a different, it's just a different definition of success, but it's taken me years to get to that point. I mean, I, for me, um, I worked in government, right, before becoming uh, an entrepreneur, before starting the second venture. And I worked in government uh, overseeing vaccine strategy. Um, and no so, yeah, no yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I saw, I mean, I think COVID-19 impacted me in a different way than I expected. And I say that because in order to get to a place where I want to build from peace, I had to really... Uh, sort of go through a process that allowed me to get here. Yeah. So being at the front line of COVID-19, seeing the deaths. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I live in Jackson Heights. Um, I'm not sure how many of your viewers live in Jackson Heights, but if you know about Jackson Heights or you live in Jackson Heights, you know we were the epicenter of the epicenter. And so not only was I working with city leaders to figure out how do we get vaccines to people? But I also saw it every day, right? A few blocks yeah. from Elmhurst Hospital. So it impacted my mental health. And I know we don't talk about mental health a lot, um, but I think it's important. And so after I left city government, and I left city government because I was burnt out, but also as an immigrant, I experienced a lot of trauma again from mm -hmm. seeing how many of our own people lost their lives because they were on the front line. Sure. So in order to get to where I am now, I had to, you know, seek mental health support. I had to take a break and rest. I had yeah. to reflect and, and think to myself, what kind of life do I want to live after this? Knowing, you know, the trauma that we all experience, the trauma that I've experienced outside of COVID-19, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think it's important for us to kind of take stock and, yeah, define what success looks like, right? Right. And also ask ourselves, so what 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 do we need in sure. order to get to that place of success that we want? And it's not always running a million dollar company. Like I yeah. love what you said. Your definition is about feeling peaceful, right? So we all define that in a different way. 
Uh, but it's once we define that, it's acknowledging, okay, what do I need to get there? And sure. understanding that it's a journey and, and it doesn't end. But I think we should be unapologetic about seeking the support that we need to be the best versions of ourselves. I totally for agree. So long, I, I mean, I don't know about you for so long because of my own experience with scarcity. I walked around feeling like I didn't deserve things, right? Mm. So when I met successful women and I was like, oh my God, how did you reach your level of success? You realize they have an army of people behind them. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and oh, like, or or well, vice versa. People are like, Jacqueline, how did you get there? I'm like, hard work and grit. Like, I, you know, lots of tacos. I don't know what to tell you. You just work all day. Um, a lot of my mentors, you know, when you when you start unpacking, like, what is behind your success? You realize someone's like, well, I have a business coach. I have a life coach. I have, you know, they have mentors and people uh, and the kind of support that has helped them get to that next level. And so I think coming into this next phase, I've just really focused on defining success, what I want that success to look and feel like, and what supports do I need, and really leaning into, I deserve that support. That's right. I deserve that and tapping into that to the extent that I can with the resources that I have. Yeah. You know, um, uh, you've said so many amazing things, but as we wrap up this amazing podcast episode, what would be the two things that you would tell young entrepreneurs, um, just advice? I think one thing I like to talk a lot about when I speak to entrepreneurs is that we have a misconception, in my opinion, about how you can grow a business. I think we should lean into leveraging other people's money to grow, to start and grow our business. So I would say that, yes, bootstrap, but also understand that there's a wealth of resources that exist to help you successfully get the cash that you need to start and grow your business. And if you start with a mindset of there's a wealth of resources, you're going to attract that and you're going to see that. So approach it with that mindset. And that doesn't change the fact that it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard regardless. But if it's going to be hard, make sure you do that, tapping into the resources that exist. If you live in New York City, New York City is a great ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Come up in. And so it's not just cash, but it's also mentorship. It's the program that Jacqueline and, and mm -hmm. I are part of, right? Uh, Women NYC, right? Mentors. There are people who want to support so I would say, do not be afraid to access both capital, non-dilutive grants, <laughs> right? Capital that exists as well as mentorship and sponsorship that. from people in the broader uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem. I love that. I love that. Well, Alexandra, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy life um, to really kind of break down what is your focus and where you're at in your career. And I can only imagine how many lives you're going to impact and generations. I mean, really think about that. You're impacting generations, plural. Um, and that is a blessing in itself, honestly. So 
I am so grateful that you were a guest on our podcast and I cannot wait to see you again in person. Um, But for those of you that are tuning in, we will put all of Alexandra's information, whether in the caption or down below or on TV. So you can follow up with her, refer someone, let somebody know. Um, Because sometimes if you don't know, you just don't know. And now if you're listening to this, now you know. So (laughs) thank you so much for tuning in to JMT Media Podcast. We are so excited to launch and continue with season four. And thanks so much. And thank you, Alexandra. You have a great one, y'all. Bye.